This week on Trek, Mary Kill, bottles, bros, stinky. Next. Personal log, Lieutenant Malcolm Reed. It's my intention to recount the events that led to the destruction of the Starship Enterprise. I lost nearly everyone I cared about on that ship. We've got less than two days of air left. May God have mercy on our souls. Enterprise. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kayla. And I'm the other Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Trek, Mary, kill. A podcast where we judge episodes of Star Trek like a drunk British man who's slowly suffocating to death. <laughs> Coming along for the ride this week, Brian Drew, who last appeared on our Ship in a Bottle episode. He's a Peabody award-winning TV producer and Mets fan who co-hosts mm. the Shuttle Pod on TrekMovie.com's podcast network. And joining us for the first time is Dr. Kayla Iacovino, an accomplished volcanologist who is also a TrekMovie.com contributor and Shuttle Pod co-host. Kayla and Brian, welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank this is going to be fun. Happy to be back. Oh, I'm glad to have you back too, Brian. Um, for one thing, it's very confusing which Brian, uh, but I think our voices are different enough. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Kayla, I, I usually ask our first time guests, how did you get into Star Trek? Or do you remember like the moment or episode that made you fall in love with it? Well, Star Trek is one of those things for me that it feels like there wasn't really a beginning. It, um, I sort of grew up with it, surrounded by it, um, born, you know, in the late 80s. So the next generation was on in my house. Um, I was I watched it with my dad and my mom. So that was a pretty important part of my childhood and something that I always had as a connection to um, both my parents. Um, and I found like I get something different out of it every few years in my life. It sort of I see it reflecting in different ways in me and me learning different things. I think as a kid, for me, it was the science, the science and exploration and that feeling of adventure, um, you know, along the lines of like what NASA is or wants to be today. Um, and, you know, the shuttle era was in full swing at that time. So it was like a pretty exciting time to be a kid who wanted to be an astronaut. Mm -hmm. um, and for the sake of studying the cosmos and understanding, you know, the place of humanity amongst the universe, that's kind of the stuff that got me really excited about it. That's great. And I'm imagining that it went something like, I really love volcanoes. And then when you heard what a person who likes volcanoes or studies them is called, you're like, what a nice coincidence. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this week, we're going to continue our two-hander theme. We're going to talk about Shuttle Pod 1 from the first season of Enterprise, back when it was just Enterprise. It premiered mm -hmm. on UPN February 13, 2002. So today marks its 22nd anniversary. It's our wow. second season. Lots of twos. So, uh, and look, this was clearly meant to be their Valentine's Day episode. <laughs> uh, it was written by Rick Berman with Brandon Braga, directed by David Livingston. Memory Alpha describes it. While investigating an asteroid field, Tucker and Reed are convinced that Enterprise has been destroyed and try to face their own oncoming deaths. What Memory Alpha doesn't tell you is that Enterprise is immediately revealed to be just fine which is a weird choice. Uh, and also Malcolm Reed is very much uh, still in touch with his inner child who just so happens to be a teenage boy and a bit of a sad sack. But <laughs> the the big reason why I thought it would be great if you two came on is because you co-host The Shuttle Pod, right. which is a, a play on podcasting. And yes, happens to also be Shuttle Pod 1, the name of the episode. But there is The Shuttle Pod Show, which is hosted by the actors who played Trip 
and Reed. Connor Trenier and Dominic Keating. So I'm just bringing you on to have to continue a friendly rivalry that doesn't exist. <laughs> a total wrestling move. If you would like to issue a challenge for them coming onto the scene after your show, which predates theirs, and just you know talk trash, whatever you need to do to get out of your system, this is the platform <laughs> to do it. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you noticed that and mentioned that we were first. We were um, on By the air. Was time. it 2014 or 2015, Brian? Uh, I think 2014. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and that's a long time to be on the air. Yeah, we talked to them when they were um, when they were you know in sort of pre-production for their show. Um, I think they got in touch with us because they they decided on this awesome concept and then Googled Shuttlepod Podcast and then we're like, ah, <laughs> oh, I see. So, well, but that's they, how we became friends. See, that's why we we sure. do this. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's a cute concept for them because it's based on this episode, and right. it's the two of them. So, I get it. Right, and just listeners, if you're unclear about any of this, like this episode, really, it's the first season, so it actually helped them bond. Like they became friends from it. Um, so that's cool. I mean, that's great. But yeah. you know, your show was first. So <laughs> I just would like to point that out. Yeah. Uh, but do either of you remember the first time you saw this episode? We'll start with Brian. I saw it when it first was broadcast. Because I was I, I, I gave Enterprise, before I started to give up on it, I gave it a good half season or so before I kind of got tired of it. <laughs> um, but I so I saw this when it ran. And I loved it then. I like small character pieces. I like sometimes I like watching shows that are just virtually no plot. I mean, this one has one, but not a particularly big one. You know, they're in jeopardy. They need to try to figure out a way to survive. That's the plot. Um, So I like character driven stuff like this. I like like a two hander like this, like you were discussing. You know, I just watch watching two actors really dig into scenes and you learn and, and episodes like this typically also just reveal a great deal about the characters themselves. So I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. Um, I could not tell you the first time I saw this. I know it was <laughs> not in the first run. I was in high school at the time. And I remember people finding out that I was a Star Trek fan. I was in the marching band. So that was actually seen as a cool thing when oh. like the other nerdy guys would come up and be like, Hey, I heard you like Star Trek. Like, yeah. And they're like, okay, we can be friends now. And talk about Star Trek. It was a great, great, great way to make friends if you're in the marching band. Um, but they're always like, "What do you think of Enterprise?" And I was, I was like, "I don't know." And they're like, "Yeah, same." Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I don't remember the first time. Long story short, I don't remember the first time I saw this. I remember it very clearly in that I watched it in snippets. I was out even earlier than you, Brian. So like, I think around the third or fourth episode, cause I like friends of our, like we get together in one of the dorms and watch it. And like the premiere was like, okay. And then like the next couple weeks, like, uh, I think by about the fourth week or so, I was like, yeah. So I just remember having this one on in the background and I swear even to this day uh, when, on the rewatch of this, I'd like rethink, re-examine some moments. I really thought in the dream sequence when Reed is saying, call, saying the word stinky, the name stinky and it's making T'Pol smile. I really thought she had farted before. Like, cause again, I'm half watching this as a college student. It's on in the background. So I always thought there's a, a fart joke in this. Like do Vulcan, I really, do Vulcans fart. Right. And so it's like, okay, this is a weird episode. Like T'Pol's farting. And like, I, I was like, not sure it was a dream sequence. Cause again, only half paying attention. And then I remember the bum talk of talking about Hoshi and all that stuff. And like, that was it. I'm like, this seems like a really 
sweaty forced episode of Enterprise <laughs> at the time I was watching it. And I guess it kind of rolls me into my next question, um, kind of a question for the group. Has your opinion of Enterprise changed over time and sort of how? And I, I just want to say, like, since we've been doing the show and kind of reexamining it, because very much a detachment for me. I was like, it really is like when they launched it, it was like, what if we made it feels like the edict was what if we made a Star Trek for bros who read Maxim magazine and like that. Yeah, that's the channel it was on though. They were very bro centric. And so it kind of like really like, especially for this one, it really kind of like the waves of the Axe body spray just come flying off of it. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed <laughs> like, that too. Well, okay. What um, was it? Where did, where did it air? Was it um, UPN? UPN? Yeah. UPN. Yeah. It was kind yeah. of their, their programming grid in those days were kind of, was kind of broish. They were like competing with like the man show. Yeah, that's what was big in those era in that era. Yeah, Maxim was a big magazine at the time. Um, and yeah, the Axe Body Spray. But the <laughs> the motivation behind this episode though was it was it's a bottle show. They had they oh, were yeah. like wildly over budget. Oh, the were season. they? I didn't know that. And they came to to Berman and Brogham and they're like, "You guys have got to figure out how to save money." So that's why you get this is a very 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 small scale episode. And in fact, some of the effects in it are reviews too, according to Braga. Hmm. It, it's funny that, you know, this is one of the cheaper ones done like, you know, on a pinching pennies because it's actually like one of, I think it's one of the most memorable episodes of the entire series, mm-hmm. I might say, because it's really different. And I yeah. like that about it. Yeah. I think it's easy. It's, one of the, it's easily one of the best episodes of Enterprise. See, I've heard that a lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the most memorable, I would say. Has your opinion of the show, I guess, changed then since... Um, it's gone off the air since you've had time to reflect on it. Cause I feel like this is the one that got the critical reassessment at some point, maybe once the lockdown started and all that. And I'm wondering if mm-hmm. like, you guys got caught up in that. I, I always liked the episode, uh, as far as the enterprise itself, you know, it's funny. We actually can me, Kel and the other shuttle potters a few years back. We're talking about maybe doing a season by season review of the show. And, I started, I've got through the first season, barely, and I started season two, and I, I couldn't go any, I just couldn't go any further. The, the worst thing you could, the thing you could say about it, that is probably the worst compliment, worst thing you could say about it, is it, it's deathly boring. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the worst thing you can say about any piece of entertainment, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're, we, as, as, pretty clear if you ever listen to our podcast we're not big discovery fans but like at least discovery could say it's never boring <laughs> yeah there's plenty to talk about yeah and it's just it's always very lively it, at yeah. least it's always it's, it, enterprise enterprise is just a show that from a production group that needed to retire oh for sure i mean that was something in voyager that's why i'm like i could feel it in voyager oh yeah where they, like people are running out of gas it's like Yes. And then Enterprise was like, I mean, you could also see like they had some interesting ideas, too, um, but it was definitely once and Brandon Braga has since admitted, like once he actually handed it over to new people, like just fresher arms, yeah. <laughs> like they they got they did a lot of those interesting things. Um, I had one more little bit here. So the Enterprise reassessment, there's that. But I. <laughs> This episode was tough for me because uh, Malcolm Reed is is a character I've never liked. Yeah, I don't like Same. him all that much either. Same. And I and so for me, I'm like, I just didn't get what he was like. He's supposed to be a tough guy, and I and like he never read. Is that. he? He's like the way he's written. He's supposed to be like a clever demolitions guy. 
you know, maybe a little more, he's supposed to kind of be a little bit more like the nicer version of his mirror universe self, but it's like, he doesn't I've never gotten that vibe from him. The way he's written what they say about him, how he's, how he kind of talks and what they count on him for the ideas with. It's like, but it doesn't read. Yeah. And what that, other people, what other characters say about him. I agree. Cause it's like, Oh, he's an expert in da, 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 da. But every time any words come out of his mouth, it's like <laughs> the kid who went to like a posh prep school, sixth form college, um, you know, in, in Oxford, but never got into Oxford. Yeah. And like thinks he's better than everyone else. Like in this episode alone, he just like out of nowhere starts like shit talking North Americans. Yeah. It's like, bro, like what did, what is your problem? He's just yeah. like, oh, by the way, we're better than you. So. He's also very, in his own way, very emotionally closed off. Well, he is British. So British, that makes yeah, sense. That's fair. That makes yeah. perfect sense. But I think I was always like, because I, I admit um, to our British audience, listen, listeners there, that I'm very jingoistic. And <laughs> when it comes when it comes to British people, I'm like, well, you know, whatever. Um, and so <laughs> the idea of a British tough guy always made me go, on Star Trek? That's our property. <laughs> the British shouldn't get have their own wharf. That doesn't make sense. So it's always <laughs> Ooh, me as and then I, him, him being kind of like implied as like a womanizer, not a woman. Well, you know, just nah. implied that he had sexual success was like, it just, I'm like, I don't see it. I just don't see it. Yeah. I see the womanizing side of him, but I don't see the successful part. Like, yeah, yeah, that's I, what, I can see him being a prick who's like walking around and thinking about the other officers' butts instead of how good they are at their jobs. Yeah. But maybe the part where he's like, yeah, I had all of these different partners I was like, did you? Yeah, that's the thing. I, yeah, that's how I feel about it, too. Did you really? Or is this <laughs> like, something you're just He was just trying of, to look good in front yeah, of the trip. Yeah, right. Like, exactly. Malcolm right. was looking through the historical database when he was at Starfleet Academy. He's like, the pickup, <laughs> the pickup artist, what's this all about? <laughs> I could totally see him being one of those guys, even for his era. All right, so I, I got I got that out of my system. It feels good. So, All right, so some stray thoughts here. Uh, maybe some stuff you don't feel like fits in the grades. This is where I pluck stuff from Memory Alpha I find interesting. So, Brian, you mentioned it was a budget saver. It was one that, I, I guess, because of that, like they were able to pull it off budgetarily. Uh, and story-wise, it kind of worked. Um, that basically Rick Berman called Connor Trenier and Dominic Keating at one point, and they said, of all the shows he's ever produced, this is the one he's most proud of. Yeah, which shocked me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I do like the the quote in Memory Alpha, how they quoted Brandon Braga. Brandon Braga also thought this outing, quote, was good. <laughs> 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 which is like, did, did he really say that? The 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 most one proud, he's of, most proud of? of? Yeah. That's quoted in Star Trek Communicator. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. And I listened last night. To, to refresh my memory, I, I actually watched this episode twice. I watched it, the episode itself, and then there was on the Blu-ray, there's an audio commentary. And the audio commentary is Braga, Connor, Dominic, and David Livingston. And yes, they talk about Rick saying that. Wow. Uh, so Brandon Braga kind of added, there were emotions in there that Star Trek characters just didn't normally have about being out there, such as, as fear and anxiety. And I thought that that was really successful. Um, also, Dominic Keating... <laughs> was never sure he had an audition with Voyager, I guess this is like his original, his origin story. And he didn't think it went well. Uh, but then it wasn't until we were shooting shuttle shuttle pod one that Rick Berman came up to me and said, you know, I had your photograph on my desk for two years after your audition with Voyager. And I'm like, you could have cold. 
But uh, so I don't know. So this just seemed like a, a like a kismet, or just seemed like a, a an episode that that made everyone happy, which is surprising. <laughs> I wonder if it made uh, Tapal happy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I feel like we could we could just do a whole other episode on, mm, on just mm. on just all that. Well, there's a whole like yeah, we don't need to get into Tapal, but Tapal throughout all four seasons is her depiction is a little. Uh, Uneven, let's put it that way. That's true. It's not Jolene Blaylock's fault. No, I know. No. It's, oh, we know. She's great, yeah. <laughs> she actually, Jolene, I thought, considering the rather erratic direction she got, as far as that character was concerned, I thought she did a great job. Hmm. I, for someone who like looked up to Leonard Nimoy, she's like, this is just how he had to deal with season three of TOS. I'm just going <laughs> to do that. I'm just going to deal with that. Uh, the Kentucky whiskey bottle that Reed and Chucker drink from is labeled Dorton's Best, a reference to Louise Dorton, the show's hmm. art director. So I just want to put that out there. And then for me, the other straight thoughts, there were two pseudoscience situations here which I guess Google was not quite widespread at the time this episode was written. Um, your hair and fingernails don't continue yeah. to grow after your death. Your skin recedes. Uh, and alcohol doesn't mm. actually warm up your body. It just makes your skin feel warmer but because it, it causes yeah, but, your blood I mean, vessels to dilate. Yeah, but come on. Yeah, but, I would yeah. be drinking too. For Absolutely. That. Oh, this, is this is not a complaint on that. I'm just saying like scientifically, that's not actually what happens. So. As the scientist in the room, I'm like, I would drink a winter warmer in that situation. <laughs> Absolutely. And call it that. Would you light an open flame though? No. And also like, <laughs> yeah. okay. For an engineer, that, he should know better. Well, it's also weird because I thought that he literally was like, I'm going to break out the emergency candle. And I spent the next, I had like rewatched that scene again because I spent the next minute like trying to figure out why you would have a candle in an emergency that you needed to light with something because then if you had to light it with something else you should have other source of light and it's not but then i realized it said like uh, it said like you know uh oil or fluid or something on it like he had just jerry-rigged this together mm -hmm. and made a candle that's anyway i thought it was weird because i was just like that, vibes he just that's needs... like where did he get a wick <laughs> like i'm not even sure it's a wick there is it it's almost like a it looks like he literally pulls out a candle, pops on the lid and puts a wick in. Like it's all perfectly shaped to become a candle. But I think it was supposed to be that he was like engineering something together. Oh, I thought it was just like a camping kit they had. That was Me part too. of like the, the landing gear. I see. But if you look on the side, it says, you know, like exhaust oil or something. So I was like, oh, is this? A bit? Anyway, I, I was very confused about that. There was a lot of moments in the show where I was like, I don't understand what I'm supposed to be feeling right now. <laughs> like what, what, what emotion are they telegraphing? Yeah, that this? was a, definitely a thought I had was like, if they did this episode now, they would do a lot of things differently. Although to your point, Brian, like the bones of this, the concept of it at all, I think is really effective mm. and really works, but let's get into the grades. Let's start with the great scenes and Kayla, why don't you start? What did you think was the first great scene in the episode? The first great scene. You know, honestly, it's hard to pick. I will, but um, <laughs> but because um, I don't want to just be, you know, pontificating with gray area answers the whole time. But it's like like you just said, what Brian was saying, the, the thing I like about this episode the best is is the bones, is the concept, is the structure of it. It's the it's the details that I would change. Um, and like, I guess I like the moment where uh, Trip is going to go up near the airlock and then 
um, Malcolm is going to like shoot him with the phaser and he's like, it's set to stun. I don't know. I thought some of the scenes like between them, even though I didn't, I would have tweaked the writing. I thought the acting was excellent. Yeah. The acting is superb in the entire episode. Kayla, that was like one of the last scenes. Of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Brian, are there any scenes earlier you want to point out that you thought were great? Uh, one scene I do love, and it's going to fit into another category we're going to talk about later. The scene when they're really getting hammered. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, of course. With yeah. the bourbon yeah. in the hand, in hand, and like that stuff, I enjoyed a lot. And the fact that at one point when <laughs> they start getting a signal and they're both completely blitzed, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're like trying to get hold it together and trying to figure out like. What, yeah. what's going on and what they need to do that 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 was funny that was good but yeah the, the peak part of the episode in terms of what it's building up to is that scene kayla mentioned when they're they're, they're literally nose to nose screaming at each other yeah which i think is always tough because it's not difficult to put two actors in a scene together and get them yelling at each other <laughs> that's essentially the fate of most acting classes so you <laughs> it gets tough and i don't know i guess to that point about the candle scene, I liked the candle scene. I thought it was great. It was mm. because both of them had, um, there was like an arc to that scene and how it starts, you know, Trip's trying to like change the vibe and then, you know, Malcolm's <laughs> being himself and then he orders him to drink and to like, you know, enjoy the moment. And then, and then he's like, and then that's when Malcolm confesses, like everyone I actually care about is dead. They were on that ship and they died. I don't want to die, but like, this is a really tough situation. And like, it causes trip to change his, his mood. Like it, it, then the, the flame becomes not just about chilling out. It's almost like a, like a prayer service or like a a Mm. vigil Mm. then it becomes. And so I think I, I, that was like, to me, the, the most like dramatically uh, full scene, but yes, there are certainly lots of nice moments throughout all this. Can I just ask a question though? Huh? <laughs> why why did they immediately reveal that enterprise is fine <laughs> yeah um yeah i mean there's one thing i think you risk if you if you don't reveal it right away and the audience you know thinks that they're gonna die because they they do try to keep up the stakes by changing making their situation worse throughout the episode so th- there's there's stakes but if you don't tell anyone that the enterprise is actually fine and then in the last like two minutes of the show you revealed Enterprise is fine. It was never a problem. Uh, everyone's fine. Like, it's too much to wrap up in the end. Yeah. I think it'd be hard to, to well, come up with an ending. I agree with that. But I also right. think, like, did it have to be the next scene? Like, the yeah. first scene <laughs> out of out of the first commercial break is, hey, Enterprise is fine. Um, although I really did like the, the beat with Hoshi where she's kind of giving an update on what's going on, like this crew they rescued the ship. Mm-hmm. And she's like, they lost everything. They were on that ship for years. So like that was a nice emotional moment that she got and she delivered it. Um, uh, yeah. I'm just curious though, because it's like, the, okay, so you take that out. So now you are forced to write, like they really backed themselves into a corner where they had to write something really interesting. And as some of the notes on like memory alpha and some of the interviews, some of the other reviews for this episode, it's like Malcolm is a character they hadn't quite figured out. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. Brian and Braga essentially stranded themselves being like, well, here's a character we love trip. And here's a character we don't totally get uh, read and let's see what happens. So I don't know. Just curious. Best Trek tropes. I'll start a shuttle accident. I mean, that's this is just <laughs> yeah. a modified version of a shuttle accident. Uh, I like this setup better than Galileo 7, 
which might be blasphemous, but uh, the the Galileo Seven was kind of like like a decent concept, but like this one was much clearer because of what's going on. Like, oh, Enterprise is so unsophisticated, right? It's like a step backwards. Like the way they contrived to be out of contact, why they weren't closer together, why they would just let these two dudes be on the shuttle for so long, so far away was weird. But whatever, it kind of worked. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Um, any other best Trek tropes that anyone wants to mention, Kayla? Um, the the scene that you just mentioned with Hoshi, honestly, I thought was the most like Star Trek part of the episode in terms of the kind of stories that we expect when like, oh, these people who who have to breathe a boron gas atmosphere. And so they're taking shifts in the decon chamber so they can breathe boron gas. And like they they, they created this whole like backstory for these characters that were just like barely even mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I really like that. I like the boron gas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't get enough scenes with boron gas. It's, it's true. No. It's an overlooked element. <laughs> Similar to you, the the shuttle pod stranded accident, whatever. And as an extension of that, using the impulse engine as a flare mm. is just like the Galileo 7 in the sense that, that Spock basically wastes all their fuel to create kind of a, a comet trail or whatever you want to call it, some sort of fuel trail around the planet so the Enterprise will see it. It was a giant heart, so Kirk would see it and know <laughs> Spock was okay. <laughs> and it's green too, no less. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, I think of the expanse in that moment where they're dumping core. Basically, they dump their engine core mm. uh, just for some reason. Uh, worst Trek tropes, uh, Brian. Why don't you go first? Uh, the techno babble that's in it. <laughs> like uh, it's basically micro it's singularities. Other, yeah, the singularities. It's kind of like the quantum filament that the Enterprise hit in. Uh, and TNG disaster, and, yeah, and disaster, yeah. It's like kind of like that. You can't see it, mm-hmm. but boy, can it pack a wallop! <laughs> boy, can it create drama! Yeah, <laughs> and I, the thing I got a kick out of it too is that like it creates these little sl- tiny little holes in the shuttle, which can be covered up with mashed potatoes. <laughs> oh God, yeah, we need to talk about this, please. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, thank God. First of all, no, um. There, there's okay. There's so many things that I want to take issue with related to the survival skills of these two gentlemen, who should have taken some kind of wilderness survival training, like in the academy. You right? would think that would be standard training at the academy, right? The first thing they do is the one thing you're really, really, really not supposed to do. They leave. Like number one rule in a survival situation is you stay where you are. Right. So that goes out the window pretty quickly. Um, they don't, there was, I think there was like lost opportunity for them to come up with more ways to create oxygen. Um, this mashed potatoes thing made zero sense. Also like the fact that they could even find a hole like that, like how thin is the hole that they just have to put their finger over it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, and that, that's never explained. That's stupid. Um, and I'm sitting here like every time they do something, I'm like, have you tried hydrolyzing water to create more oxygen? Have you tried like doing any of these? There's like so many opportunities for them to show that they've exhausted all their options instead of just like sitting around and making all of their own choices. I don't know, man, that part, that part is what bothered me the most, honestly, is like that they, they seem to have no training for this situation. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> Definitely seemed like two middle-aged guys being like, what would you do? And that's yeah, it. <laughs> let's just go in a random direction for some that's reason. Right. Yeah, the decision to leave was strange. And I mean, they really, 
really make it hard. Like the sensor array is down. Like they can't do any, you know, it's just like, there's so many things they do to, to suggest why it works out the way it does. But it also just seems like this is, this is a prequel. So they would actually use their eyes and their hands and like what they can see more than say TNG, where they might be more reliant on technology. I don't know. It just seems like, you know, one of them could have asked, like, that doesn't seem like enough wreckage for Enterprise. Right. That's what I thought, right. too. Not I was even like, close. Yeah. Not even close. Even though there was the other ship there, which I think they would argue, they would say, like, that would explain. But certainly Trip would go, like, that doesn't look even even look like a piece of Enterprise. Yeah. Like, he should know. Yeah. yeah. So that was weird. And then you see, like, Malcolm flying, just looking at the controls. And I remember very clearly from the first duty... Good pilots don't just look at their controls. They look at the so just <laughs> yeah. all these things, that little details. You're right. <laughs> so the worst trope is the not uh, no attention to Star Trek details. <laughs> well, and they make decisions way too quickly. Like for someone, because again, I'm drawn to this for like the scientific aspect so that they're presented with a challenge and then they need to make a difficult choice and they do the best they can in the moment. And instead it's just like, there's a crash. They're all dead. There's no survivors. Let's leave. And it's like, wait, can we like, can we think, can we talk about this? Can we take a beat? So the, every time something happened, it was like this, like just immediate, you know, decision was made and they went with it. And it was like frustrating to me again, like being put in a survival situation, they should know, like, let's make a plan. <laughs> but well, nah. I think this episode, unfortunately does reveal that men can get hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Most of it's time quality. I guess I'm already kind of touching on that. <laughs> you know, we've talked about the Maxim part of it, uh, mm-hmm. but I guess um, Trip and Reed's conversation about Ulysses and Superman. So, you know, the, what you said, why is he just like dissing North American education, this British guy? But he, and he also says like, that's too bad Zephram Cochran was American. He probably spends his nights reading about cowboys and Indians yikes i'm pretty sure we're yeah, already doing the, yikes i'm pretty sure we're already calling them indigenous people all that stuff but i, I just this feels like very much in our uh, a scene that was written by two 50 year old men who've like <laughs> yes. like gone on trips to europe during hiatus like that's effectively what it, it comes off as it yeah, doesn't they really just, yeah they don't yep. feel like characters they just feel like two rich guys you know talking smack about each other's countries that's so <laughs> it yeah that's exactly what happened <laughs> And it's just but a it's very like, basic stereotype of a of a European. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, it's like you said, the writer... a British person. Yes. It's it's very very stereotypical. Yeah. Uh, what's up with the sound in this episode? So were were any of you listening and like catching that? Were maybe because it was the first season, they hadn't figured out how to mic everyone properly yet in their uniforms. Hmm. There's something very fuzzy at the top end of Hoshi in her scene and then trip in the first scene back in the shuttle where they're like, well, where where they're wondering where the escape pods are. And it just seemed like there is, you know, I guess I'm mentioning this because it's of its time, the microphone Mm. technology, body mic technology of that time, because today Gates McFadden said like uh, in modern times, uh, Gates McFadden remarked that Patrick Stewart sometimes couldn't hear his scene partner speaking. They were speaking so softly, but the mics could pick it up. Hmm. So like, that's just a change there. So it's like a literal of its time. I didn't notice anything like that. There's some weird fuzziness in their voice, in their voices. Um, and it's not everybody. So it's gotta be like a body mic thing because hmm. surprised they didn't just yeah. loop it then. Well, 
I mean, <laughs> that's what Star Trek's famous for. But it yeah. could have to do with just the mix, the 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 better mix, because yeah, maybe Enterprise maybe. is like a fully HD show. So, and I think in season one they had admitted like they were still caught in between the standard def world and the HD world. And like you said, so many people who had been working on Star Trek for so long, one way now trying to like get makeup and all that other stuff um, over Um, any other, most of its time. Well, I didn't notice the sound, but I did notice the video quality, like whether it's HD or not, HD has a particular definition that was made, whatever, 20 years ago. And now we don't really consider that high definition. Mm -hmm. No, it certainly is not in 4k. So yeah. No, I mean, I, season one was shot on film, though, wasn't it? And then mastered in HD? I believe And then it was after that, and then after season one, I think, they started shooting it in HD. They stopped using film. I, I, I could be wrong about this. But I, I, thought think... the H, I thought the the loss of film only happened as of season four. Okay, so I thought it was... When they went full that. digital. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was mastered in HD from, from season yeah. one. Archer mansplains Vulcan's beliefs about micro singularities back to T'Pol. That was a little yikes. Yeah, that that's one of those things. You know, speaking of like T'Pol, that having a good handle on him, they don't have any idea what to do with Archer at that point yet either. Mm-mm. He's the editor in chief of Maxim Magazine. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> he represents a lot of moneyed interests, and uh, he's a bon vivant. Yeah, that was that. <laughs> it's such an awkward scene. Yeah. And that's how he treats her for a lot of the time. He's berating her or talking down to her and all that stuff. I like, mean, I know it's this whole thing with the Vulcans, but still. Yeah. And, and Archer's whole vibe, at least in the first in the early part of the show, is like, uh, I'll be nice to you, but I will make you feel small the moment you make me feel anything other than superior. That like that's how he comes off in most of his scenes. It's kind of weird. Yeah. In this episode, yeah, definitely. This is very uh, early on, too. Obviously. Yeah, very early. There's, a, yeah, I mean, people, ain't, yeah. Hopefully, people realize that even seasoned professionals, the first season of a show is there's a lot of trial and error oh, trying yeah. to figure things out. And I'm sure Bakula is like trying to figure out the performance. And there's literally no evidence to suggest in the Rick Berman era that you could even now actually in Star Trek that you could go to a writer and ask him what's going on with my character because 99 percent of the time, like I don't know read this book or just be yourself. And like, that's it. They don't have any insight into it. So everyone's stabbing in the dark. Now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Great lines. Uh, Kayla. Um, pass. Come back to me. Come back. To okay. Me. <laughs> I, I've got mine. And it goes back to something I talked about earlier. It's the, I'll, I'll, I'll do the quotes for you. It's like, it goes, uh, is that modulated enough for you? Modulated the radio, or is it just a galaxy giggling at us again? It can giggle all at once, but the galaxy is not getting any of our bourbon. <laughs> I love that because Connor is, he just nails the, that last line about getting any of our bourbon. It's so perfect. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time I watch it. <laughs> so I, I get it. That's my, those are my favorite lines. That, uh, that little that little bit in the episode is my favorite. I like Tripp's line, live a little. That's an order. Like when he's offering the whiskey, but I also liked, or the bourbon... Uh, and then Trip saying, what's the matter, Lieutenant? Are you afraid the autopsy will show your blood alcohol level was too high to pilot a <laughs> shuttle? So I like those line because I liked your other line, too. Uh, although I actually preferred Trip's version where he says it's probably just white noise. The sound of the galaxy laughing at us. Yeah. So, 
Even Reed has to ruin it with giggle. Come on, Reed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We can move on, Kayla, if you want. Uh, Yeah, I was actually going to mention the white noise line as well. I I like that they did a callback to it. Yeah. No, the callback was great. Yeah. Now, these next two, uh, I'm super curious, and I kind of left them blank just to have a discussion. But the Anton Critian Award for Best Performance and the Shatner, They're, they could be yin and yang. Some people just like to say good performance, bad performance. One's like a, a great classical, that's an actor. Wow, what a, like that. And the Shatner's like, that person had to really go for it. And I kind of feel like both of the men swap places, but I'm curious to know if either of you landed on one or the other, or someone else entirely for either of these greats. So I'll start with Kayla here. Anton Critian? Dominic Keating, uh-huh. no question. And Brian, you agree? I completely agree. It's a, it's it's Dom's episode as far as I'm concerned. So I put in pencil because I feel like he could have just as easily been the Shatner too. Because I'm pretty sure you use up a lot more oxygen when you shout like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but to me, that to me, the Shatner is both of them. I have them that written. Yeah, yeah. As both. I agree. Okay, then I we said then it's agreed. That's great. It is a good uh, performance piece for him. I think it makes a lot of sense that it was the episode that bonded them as friends. Um, they they do have a nice chemistry together. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. I think one thing to consider, like, you know, is that true for the rest of the cast? Who has, I, I actually think it works this way. Connor Trenier has chemistry with just about everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think, I'm thinking about all his relationship with all the crew members. And I'm like, those are all good pairings. Like Mayweather, they have the scene in the pilot together. Uh, you know, Hoshi, like all that, it all works. He's, he's the person you put with everybody. It seems to work. What part of this will they teach at Starfleet Academy? How not to act in a survival situation. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> clearly they've been to space before, but it doesn't seem like... <laughs> it doesn't seem... They've there's... never been camping, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, or Glamp made the most of it. It was Glamp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I basically had like... They would, es- they would establish some sort of procedure survival procedure like here's an example i think you drop a com buoy Mm -hmm. like they've got to have like that should be some sort of prep thing also it's kind of suggested that they could use some of their landing party equipment to do certain things and i'm like you know if my ship exploded maybe i pull out my tricorder and see if i can pick up like what happened there was a you know what i mean like Mm. yeah there's an episode of deep space nine where uh, remember Dax and Kira are on that Bajoran fighter and there's no sensors. So Dax just pulls out her tricorder just to scan it <laughs> nearby, like what's outside the ship. And it, I don't know. It just seems like, uh, I think, I feel like the promise of the premise of enterprise was they would be rolling up their sleeves and doing mm-hmm. a lot more MacGyver shit. And we don't get any of that. Yeah. Well, we get mashed, but I guess I'm going to be Rick Berman. Well, they do put mashed potatoes in a, in a space hole. Yeah. That's something MacGyver might do. <laughs> Nothing between us and the vacuum of space. Oh, I should have put most of its time where they have like really nice uh, prepared space food. And then tr- Tucker just goes, I want meatloaf because I'm American. <laughs> yeah. They didn't even eat it all. Like you guys are no. going to die. Like you need your energy. Yeah. They never tried that. Gosh, I'm just not going to stop 
being mad at like they never tried sleeping at the moment when he's like i have it set to stun i was like yeah duh you yeah. guys should stun yourselves you uh, lost well, way trip, longer trip, trip tried to sleep several times yeah malcolm was being quite a diva yep. we've talked it i mean we didn't even get into really the um quote unquote meat he's writing letters to old flings and actually given the nature of malcolm reed as presented it's you can argue, did he, did those women even know who he is? Like, Or were like casual acquaintances that he imagined yeah. was something more, which would tie into his dream about Tapal a little bit. Yeah, yeah 100%. Uh, we didn't even talk about the dream. We should just do that right here. We must talk about the dream. I didn't put, we're talking around it, but I don't see why. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's no reason to talk around it. <laughs> well, I'll start with the, the basic technical thing. In Reed's dream sequence, Phlox puts his hand on him, and it's only a half-painted hand. And oh. I was like, is that like a miss for the the HD? They still, it, was being, it wasn't being cropped, because that was a show that was presented uh, widescreen. Yeah, 16 by 9, yeah. So then, so that was a weird miss. He only has his pinky and his fourth finger uh, uh, all painted up. That had anyway, to be a mistake. That had to be a mistake. And okay, so then the other thing is, <laughs> was Reed's uh, beard, his stubble uh, makeup? It kind of looked like it was, didn't quite look real. But then let's just talk about the dream. <laughs> the so, stubble, the stubble has it comes and goes. It's not yeah. consistent. Yeah, yeah but weird. that's good though. Maybe maybe the whole point of it is the inconsistencies that are to help drive home the point that it is a dream. I. Mm, yes, in retrospect, that would make sense. But then I also think uh, John Billingsley's right hand, which is, you know, his upstage hand is like no makeup on it at all. And I'm like, are, I, did they maybe they changed their mind halfway through? Like, we're not going to give him alien hands anymore. It's just too <laughs> much work. I don't know. But I guess in the, the dream sequence, though. So it's Reed is dreaming that T'Pol is coming on to him while he's in, in sick bay. And, you know, says Malcolm is the Vulcan word for serenity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I actually did like that as part of his psyche. <laughs> <laughs> your, your name is actually good here. Um, mm. But then what compels him to say stinky? Is that I when we know. That's the dream? That's the part, the weird part of a dream where just right. something yes. weird pops up. Yeah. Right. But everything else is like pretty normal. Like nothing else is like weird psychedelic. It's just that. It's it's a little cringy. I I had a hard time watching that scene. It's supposed to. I think it's supposed to be cringy though. It's secondhand embarrassment, very strong. <laughs> yes. Oh, big time, big time. I think she should have farted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think no. It should have been that when he woke up, then Trip was like, "Ah, sorry about that." I think <laughs> you noticed. <laughs> I think that's actually better. That's true. That would have been a bigger insult trick, yes. to his yep. vision. Yeah. So you got that moment and then you've got them being drunk and then talking about Hoshi's bum. Mm -hmm. And it's like between those two beats, I can't recall. And I think this is why it's good. You're both here. I can't recall a moment in Star Trek where until into darkness, where another <laughs> character is objectified by our people. Like a main character, I guess, is probably. Mm, I was going to say, that happens in TOS. The line I must draw. <laughs> like you, you never have Scotty going like, that's Ohara. She's quite a quite a lot, isn't she? You know, I guess mirror, mirror, but that's as a sign like they're bad guys, right? Where they're not respect. 
I guess if you're like trying to show like this is closer to us than than it is to the distant future, it's one thing. But it's just I don't know. It rubbed me the wrong way at the time. So 22 years ago, uh, as it is now, and I'm like, you didn't like the dream sequence, but what about just like I don't know, talking about the body parts stuff? It just seems like to get in the space, you can't really be fixated on that stuff, even when you're about to die. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> unprofessional. And yeah, they, yeah. They it's wasted weird. a lot of time in this episode doing this weird to Paul sex stuff. They could have completely cut it and used it to tell a better story. I mean, it makes the most sense that you fixate on one woman we've never met, met or seen before and uh, that you missed. And maybe maybe that's what triggers something for Malcolm is like I could have whatever. But if you're if you're intent on doing a, a man pining after a woman thing, but it does feel just like the Maxim magazine part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, where it's just like let's reduce i mean jolene blaylock literally was in the magazine right so it's just yep. like let's reduce them down to their parts it was just yeah it was gross there was a lot of pressure on berman by the time they get to enterprise there's a lot more corporate interference the executive interference up until then they had enormous latitude with what they did with star trek they as long as they hit their marks financially the studio let Berman and gang do whatever the hell they wanted. But when they got to enterprise and it became like a UPN thing, massive amounts of interference and you could see it right away in enterprise. You could see it right away. Well, and then, I mean, I don't know that those were the two uh, people to write that with any uh, skill (laughs) or delicacy (laughs) or Uh. intrigue or any of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So there's that. So I guess that all kind of leads into could this episode have been hornier and would no. that have made it better? Yeah, we're talking about <laughs> it. It could have been differently hornier and that might have made it better. Like if you did it now, you would probably episode you're in the first season. I mean, if you were to do it now, there would be a thing of like two men trapped in a life pod together. That might be something. I don't know. But on top of that, kind of like what I said, like there was probably a healthier way for two men to, to bro out about women on the thing. Yeah, like that's the thing that bonded them. Yeah. I, if we did it today, I would have put that scene closer to the beginning and have one of the characters being like, am I right? Like, ladies, like I love ass. And then the other guy would have been like, dude, I'm gay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that is what it, that, that's what's screaming to be said is like, no, no homo enterprise, everyone. Right. It <laughs> no, is totally, no totally into women. This totally heterosexual <laughs> nerd show. These guys, down these guys are here. totally yeah. not gay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could have done a weird dream. Like that, like that to me, the sex dream was like too obvious. Yeah. Almost. And it was obvious it was a dream because yeah. it was like, oh, halfway through the episode and they're no, no, they're not. <laughs> but also like who likes read that much? Like, <laughs> they're all surrounding his bed. That's how you know it's a dream. So. <laughs> Trek, marry or kill shuttle pod one. Uh, Kayla. Well, um, based on the ratings, as you've defined them. I got. <laughs> I have to go with Trek because it, it, we've written here is yeah, cool, has some good stuff in it. Otherwise, fine, whatever. That's like it, there's there's an aspect of it I actually really like, which again is the bones, is the structure, is the idea 
Um, it's really early, so it's tough to have a character piece like this um, so early in a show yep. where the characters, the, the actors are still finding themselves, the writers are still finding the characters, and they did pretty well. Um, I really like the character stuff, as Brian pointed out. So there's a lot I like about it. There's a lot I would change. So yeah, pretty pretty run-of-the-mill run episode, but memorable. Pretty solid Trek. All right, Brian. Trek. Yeah. I'm with both of you. I'm probably a softer Trek, but yeah. In the context of, of this series, it's yeah. one of the better episodes. In the context of the larger franchise, yeah. Yeah, and, and I really am trying, Chris and I have really been trying to like push it out there of like, it's easy to like compare it against episodes of itself, but it's, it is like, you got to factor in like city on the edge of forever exists. Okay. Yeah. We can't walk away from that. Trouble with triples exists, you know, uh, best of both worlds. You got to contextualize it there, but um, Hey, this was fun. Kayla and Brian, I'm so glad you both came on board. Uh, check out the shuttle pod on trekmovie.com podcast network. I love your recording schedule. It's when you feel like it. <laughs> Yeah, we can't be beholden to any kind of schedule. Yeah, yeah, we've the past couple of years have been a little uh, uneven. I guess would be the best way to describe it. We've had a lot going on in our personal and professional lives, and our I think our enthusiasm runs a little hot and cold with Trek mm-hmm. these days. So, but you've done uh, convention appearances. You definitely will put together episodes when there's definitely cool shit happening mm-hmm. in the Star Trek universe, which given even despite the, the strikes, I think 24 will probably hear a couple of things that cause some eyebrows to be raised in a good way. Like fascinating. I think there'll be good, some good news here. I hope yeah, so. so. Uh, anything else either of you want to plug Kayla, any volcanoes people should be looking out for or. Huh. <laughs> well, of course. Funny you should <laughs> yeah, say that. There's... <laughs> There's this well, this will date the the time of the recording, right? But mm-hmm. that's right. But there's an episode. Uh, there's a, a volcano erupting right now. Well, it might erupt soon. We're watching it to see if it's going to erupt in Iceland. Um, it's really another one really close to Reykjavik on the Reykjanes Peninsula, and it's been stirring over the last few days. It sounds like they're pretty confident that it's going to erupt, and all the signs point to it. So everyone's kind of watching, but it sounds like everyone's going to be safe. Uh, mostly just scientifically interesting and a spectacle. So. And uh, Japan had an underwater volcano that created an island. That was cool. Or is that just a <laughs> hoax on social media? I don't know. Uh, okay. Hard uh, Brian, to know these days. That's true. Brian, anything you wanted to mention? Uh, not particularly. Okay. <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing over here. <laughs> uh, next week, we're visiting a strange new world, Toronto, in Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow from Strange New Worlds. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or right there in your Spotify app. Check out TrekMaryKillPod.com for our standings. And until next week, TMK out. Mm-hmm.